1: Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness.
2: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery.
3: Hey guys, it's the Nerdist Podcast number 288. Uh, this is a very exciting episode, which I will get to in a minute. But first, I want to say that if you're in Nashville or Chicago, I'm going to be performing at Zanies in both cities. Uh, December 6th through 9th in Nashville and the following weekend in Chicago and then Rosemont. So uh, Zanies, go to their website, get tickets, or you can go to Nerdist.com slash calendar for ticket links there. I would also like to thank Stamps.com for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. It is the holidays... What? You're going to have to mail a lot of things, and you really don't want to be going into or near the post office at this time of year. Uh, Listen, the last few times I went to the post office, I really felt like they didn't want me there. So it's a win for everyone to use stamps.com. You can print out exactly the postage you need uh, from your computer with your stamps.com account, and they'll just come pick it up from your house. You don't have to leave your house. Uh, You could just do all your shopping online. We're basically going to be... You know the alien... The, the sort of the Roswell alien that everyone goes, ah, oh, what, you know, that's an alien from another planet. Those are future humans, actually. I think that was just a time machine experiment. That we're just going to live these isolated existences in our homes, and we're going to lose all our hair, because we're not going to need it to go outside, and then our eyes are going to get really big, because we're staring at a computer all the time. And I would say something. I'm fine with that. If we all just sort of look like generic, vanilla, bald beings, no prob. No prob. Uh, so mail anything you want, uh, from your computer using Stamps.com to become the bald vanilla being that you've always wanted to become, and uh, and enjoy the holidays without having to get yelled at at the post office. So if you go to stamps.com right now, click on the radio microphone at the top of the screen, uh, enter the promo code Nerdist to get a bunch of cool bonus offers at stamps.com promo code Nerdist. Now this episode is Mel Brooks again. This has been such an amazing year for, I mean, I've enjoyed doing the podcast the entire time, but really, I had made a list of like, here's a bunch of people that I really, really, really hope to get on the podcast someday, and we are ticking them off. There's still a lot to go, but Mel Brooks was a huge one. Mel, Mel is just like your granddad or your uncle. He's such a great guy. We talked to him for like an hour and 40 minutes, and... And he was lovely and got so much information about uh, some of my favorite movies of all time that I didn't know before from Mel himself that uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. And and, and I, I hope you, if you're at all any kind of a comedy fan, then I think you will enjoy this episode uh, of the Nerdist Podcast with Mr. Mel Brooks. Oh, by the way, I have to tell you the best thing that happened uh, after... <laughs> We finished recording the podcast. Jonah had years ago had found is by the way huge, huge, huge. Like so freaked out that we got to sit down with Mel Brooks. And years ago, Jonah, when he worked at a record store, got this uh, high anxiety soundtrack album, like an original. Album, and so he was really shy. And so after the podcast, I was like, Hey, Mel, do you mind signing uh, Jonah's high anxiety album? And he was like, No, of course not, I'd love to. And so he had picked up on the Matt, on the Matt Jonah dynamic, and so he actually signed Jonah's record to Matt and then crossed it out to Jonah. It was such a gorgeous moment, such a gorgeous moment. And Jonah, like, I thought he was gonna burst into tears with joy, he thought it was so funny. So, uh Just a little behind the scenes moment, just to let you know how awesome Mel Brooks is. But you'll listen. Here we go again, Nerd Nerds Podcast Mel Brooks.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com.
4: Katie, she's our producer. Yes. You're Levine, right? Yes. This is Levine,
3: that's Jonah Ray, and that's Matt Myra over Hello.
4: there. You are? I'm Jonah Ray. Jonah Ray. Yeah. I it, Matt. And you're Matt. And you, how long is this group together? How long you work together? Well, on this, together? on
3: this show, we started this show about two and a half years ago. I knew Jonah when we used to do open mic comedy together, like in the year 2000. And Matt and I, we've all, Matt, of joined the we became friends maybe like 5 years ago yeah yeah so and then we just started a podcast just as a way to sort of hang out who started
4: well, who, who, the podcast yeah. i guess i did
3: yeah. i thought of it and
4: uh, don't just don't, don't just <laughs> that is the big question for the internet. The internet
2: should just be called "Don't you need money?" Chris has been right. promising us money for a long time now, and I hope—I just hope it's not its well. You guys, you're getting college credit.
4: I yes. I don't understand. I don't understand how, really, how you get any money. Who gives you money? How do you get money?
2: Uh, I can explain people it. They say,
4: "Oh, thanks! I enjoyed it so much." I can yeah, explain it. It's a
2: sometimes admiration is enough. <laughs> it's a new currency. Yeah, I tried to tell. Tell uh,
4: that to the landlord.
2: Yeah, I tried to tell my landlord I'm you like,
1: by the way, you're running the building. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, a lot
2: of people like me, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it sort of works like a radio show
3: in that we have you know a certain number of listeners and so sponsors come on because they know who- sponsors sponsors yeah the shows are sponsored like now
4: like who like who would be a sponsor amazon.com amazon, um, com. amazon
3: samsung um oh, yeah, no, stamps.com movies come on as sponsors sometimes uh, um television shows
4: who do they pay the money
3: to my company to your company mm-hmm
4: and who do you pay the money to to have the space, the time? I mean,
3: well, it doesn't really cost. Yeah. It doesn't really cost that much to make the podcast. I mean, I, I pay these guys. Katie gets paid, but the podcast is a part of a larger media company. We also make television shows, and you know, we have uh, like web video channels and that th- live shows and that kind of thing. So it's a part of a bigger thing.
4: Well, what's the bigger thing named?
3: Nerdist, Nerdist Industries. Oh, so it's Nerdist Industries. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. It is. It is. I mean, it must. Is this. Is this kind of stuff interesting to you to figure out? Like, like the new media.
4: I've always wanted to know who paid for what and how how you get things done. You know, I make movie. I used to make movies before I went to Broadway. You know.
3: I remember. Yeah.
4: We're all. If I did right now, even as I speak to you, if I said, "Okay, I'm working on." History of the World Part 2. Finally! Finally. Yeah. Jews in space. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Hitler on ice. Yeah. Hitler on ice. And I did, actually did, all the things I promised. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I had Jews in space and Hitler on ice, you know? And, and, and then maybe some other, you know, I haven't done Civil War or anything, you know? I mean, there are other sections of history I haven't covered, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think it would, I think I could Make you know opening weekend would would be sixty million bucks.
3: I think you could do that. Are, yeah. Have you have you ever thought like what what was the? Why did uh, History of the World Part Two like what happened? Was it a financing thing or you just got you got
2: caught no, up? No, it was other a stuff? joke.
4: I never yeah, intended to do it. It was always I'm a joke. an idiot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, the fact that the the movie was called History of the World Part One to set up that it was going to be an anthology. But I but I but I still
3: I just like all those years I I, I totally bought it. I was like.
4: What's a sequel coming? But they never, you know. But kids don't understand satire or irony or. I understood it better than
3: I understood it better than most kids because my I was a comedy nerd, so my whole the tapestry of my life was all comedy albums, every comedy special in the '70s and '80s, your movies, like everything. I mean, I I was I was way in uh, on board, but still. But I guess no,
4: none of the kids understood. I got letters to this day. (laughs) <laughs> from people who are 63 years old, you know.
2: So wait, so there's not going to be a sequel? What, I don't I'm
4: get it. Where, where's part two? You know. <laughs> yeah. When are you going to do part two?
2: It's like you when know. if they put out The Godfather, and, the, and the, when they put it out in theaters for the first time, it was called The Godfather Part One. It's yeah. like doing that. you know. No, I understand yeah. now, Jonah. I understand. I was, I, was, I was an idiot for 20-some years. I get it. I totally yeah, get it now.
4: Yeah, nobody ever did part one knowing. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's well, that why must be
3: I so, did it, yeah. That must be so frustrating. And then people are like, what's the sequel? And you're like, it was a goddamn joke, please. Yeah, yeah,
4: it was. It, uh, but I'm thinking that There's a lot of money in that joke. If I, if I put it together, you know. You I, could do it, too. I could do Jonah and Matt. Matt, okay.
3: Um, a friend of mine, uh, I think maybe this was... When you were working on uh, maybe a Spaceballs animated project, but he said it was a long time ago, Uh, my friend Rob Paulson said, you guys were all in a group, and they were were pitching jokes to you, and you were trying to come up with a name for one of the dinks in this thing that you are making, and he said, how about Gunga Dink, because he brings someone water, and then... And Rob thought this was the greatest joke he had ever written, and he thought he was going to get so much props from you, and then you go, kid, wit is shit, funny is money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <And> it, <laughs> do, do,
4: do you believe that? I believe I said that. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe it's true, but, you know, it sounds good.
3: It sounds good. It sounds good.
4: Well, you um,
3: – they sent us uh, this this uh, DVD box set with bonus CD, The Incredible Mel Brooks, and irresistible collection of unhinged comedy, which is – it's pretty unbelievable. Did it's,
4: anybody over there look at it? Did or play yeah, it?
3: absolutely. Yeah, because it's it's not just like oh, here's a couple of Mel Brooks movies. It's it's literally like insane appearances with you and Dick Cavett, and then um, the Critic, which was the short film that you won the yeah, Academy Award yeah, yeah. for, and uh, just it's an incredible collection. All Carson
4: appearances. Yeah. So how do you? How do I mean, you, there's even one of me with the guy who used to do commercials for Milton Berle. What Sid Stone. Who used to do the fire chief commercials? He was a pitch man, and he he he'd unfold his, his little stand, and he'd sell things like I don't know. And in, in the end, he was selling um, Texaco gasoline. Yeah. you know. But but uh, and he always did different things, and he always needed different stooges. I don't know how he got me. I was like 22 or something, just begun writing the show of shows. So he must have heard of me through some other comedy outlets. Maybe I was doing shots at the Village Vanguard as a stand-up and you know, trying to get arrested. And 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 so I became a. You'll see it. I'm I'm 22. On I'm a window washer. Yeah. And he and I'm doing things like I'm the only thing that really bothers me is pigeons. Otherwise I'm fine. <laughs> and I do this kind of dopey little window washer. And I completely, I swear to you, I completely forgot about it. I mean, it's its like 70, 60 years, something. I mean, I've just, I had no memory at all. You know, it's like Lost Horizon or something. And <laughs> yes, and I was, do you mean I was actually... A member of Parliament from You know. I was that, that kinda of, you know. I had no, no memory of ever having done this commercial.
0: So what was your reaction when you saw and it? Some, the-
4: so when they found it and I went to the Paley there's a the Paley yeah, the center, Paley center you know, yeah. and I said, so Oh my God, that's me, you know. <laughs> and and then we uh when we were putting this together I thought, Well maybe this is a you know, this is like a rarity and an antiquity, you know. So we 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 got some rights to it, and we threw it through it in. You know? I mean, this is
3: like the rights that you got for all this, to all the, Like even getting the Tonight Show and and, and throwing Get Smart on here, and they like the Get Smart pilots on here. Yeah, the
4: Get Smart pilot is good. It's wonderful. Mister Big was Michael Dunn, this uh, dwarf. And uh, but what's great about the Get Smart part of this is that Buck Henry and I begin. He came to Carl's house and we we kind of, you know, filmed it, we taped it, and we got into the same arguments. I did the shoe telephone. I did the cone (laughs) of silence. No, no, I did. And we, well, we finally decided that Buck Henry actually, we wrote it together, he actually did create the cone of silence. Okay. And I did create the shoe telephone. (laughs) Now, there's no, there are no. There's no residuals in the cone of silence, doesn't mean, <laughs> sure. and, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work. But it's a comic currency. Like yeah, who gets credit yeah, for yeah, which right. joke? But but I should get credit for the cell phone. You do actually get credit. I think I you started the cell phone with 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 uh, you know with Agent you know eighty six's shoe telephone. You know.
3: So we I, I actually I was surprised that. When the cell phone revolution began, that there was that someone didn't make like a joke shoe. Cell I think
0: phone. they
4: didn't. I think it didn't sell.
3: It didn't
0: do as well.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, thi- I think they tried it. No, I did.
0: remember you could get them in like the sharper image catalog. Yeah. They were shoe phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 there yeah. were. there yeah. were.
4: Yeah. I think I made about 80 dollars. $80. Yeah. Is that weird <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: that I? Oh, there was a cricket. it's that there still, still is a cricket it? Yeah. Now, do you keep the crickets in here to keep the comedy fresh and real? So it always reminds you what. No,
4: no, it's it's nice. It's a, you know, it's a it's a brushstroke of nature. <laughs> in a hard, hard technical world, you know, it's nice to have, you know, living living things, creatures that that care about life and death.
3: That, that sing to you yeah. while you're trying to write comedy. I I, I just recently became pals. That with is,
4: your... There's really not a cricket here. That's me. <laughs> oh my god, are you okay? <laughs> it's really me. I You're being, I your critic, right.
3: being your own worst critic. He's being your own critic. He's being his own worst critic. Thank you. Um, I just recently became friends with your uh, son Max, who I love. Um, you and you, you, brought this thing that Zombie Survival Guide is number nine on uh, bestsellers. How, how did
4: it get the You know, I mean, isn't this crazy? When did it come out? Like five, six, six. maybe. When, yeah. oh, well wait a minute. Uh, actually, my guess is is two thousand and three. Two thousand three, Yeah. So it's been around.
3: Yeah. He's a good guy, and we're uh, we're exactly the same age, and all of our references are exactly the same. But we were talking about movies. We had lunch a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about movies and just movies we liked when we were growing up. And I go, oh, I really loved – we talk about show of shows. He I loved my favorite year. And he goes, that was about my dad. Yeah. And that was about my dad having to babysit Errol Flynn. That's true. When he, and, I, and I don't know how I didn't know that. Yeah. So what was that – what was the story?
4: Well, he uh, – he had a couple of, he had a, he had red-headed twins, Cuban Cuban twins who had dyed beautiful red hair, and he kept them in the Waldorf t- Towers, and he was booked to do the show of shows, and it wasn't Harrelson, it was somebody else. Oh, okay, okay. You know, it was, but it was an English actor. Okay. And uh, and he was uh, he cut a swath, a, a wide swath through a lot of you know glamorous ladies and you know, <laughs> and anyway, I had a make sure that he knew the sketches and that he knew what he was saying and he knew what he was doing and he could memorize a few things. And uh, so what happened? It could go either way. It's a teeter-totter. It's a seesaw. Either you can straighten out Errol Flynn and get him right and get him up and get him knowing or he can send you up into the Cuban clouds. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, and, and quite often I was just, you know, just full of rum and dancing with the Cuban girls, and I didn't teach him a thing, you know. <laughs> but every once in a while, I knew my job, and I would, I would, you know, would get him to uh, to study and, and tell him what the sketch was all about. Yeah, you
3: know? what did television feel like in those days? Would it, where, where, I mean, like the Show of Shows is a pretty innovative show at, at the time. Do you think it's felt in those days what the what the internet revolution feels like now? I mean, it's a fairly new medium when you're writing. You know, on that Chris, I I'm I'm
4: this is an incredible moment of education for you and for everybody listening. Yes, you, we're always stepping back and looking at something and saying, "How different? How quaint? How how remarkable? How dull? How stupid? How whatever?" You know, looking looking at a, a little a piece of uh, quote art, you know. But when you're in it, this, this, that it it is is. Oh, yes. It just simply is. You say, how was it? It was like now. I'm living. I was living it. Yeah. So I didn't know that there was that you could ever be outside it and watch it. Yeah. Because you were living it. You were it. It 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 is is is. Oh, yes. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Right now we are talking to each other and 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 uh, Matt and Jonah Matt and and Jonah and, and Chris and Ms. Katie Katie. And we're here. We're in my office. I'm paying rent here <laughs> <laughs> with admiration. yes and and you know and, and if I live another five years or ten years, and it's possible because <clears throat> there's a guy called Norman Lloyd who was ninety eight. Mm-hmm. He still plays tennis. Norman Lloyd is the guy hanging from the Statue of Liberty in Alfred Hitchcock's sabotage. He's the bad guy whose jacket rips, the seam rips, stitch by stitch, until finally all Robert Cummings is left with is his sleeve, and he screams, and there's a remarkable shot at looking down from the head of the Statue of Liberty when Norman Lloyd perishes, and he's alive. He's 98.
3: So he survived that fall. So what if I didn't understand that <laughs> that was a movie?
4: Yeah, but what I'm saying is he may be the only one living who could step back and say, "Let me tell you how it was."
3: Right. <laughs> you know? right, right yeah, yeah. Well, I just think. But I just think you know, even even though that at the time that was your present, that was your reality, and you didn't you couldn't didn't think of it in those terms.
4: Exactly. You can't get outside
3: what is. But you, know? you still you're still doing at that time a, a, a revolutionary thing, and you're on the biggest show at the time, and and Sid Caesar. I mean. Just hearing these stories about how...
4: No, I think like you do sometimes. For instance, uh, Shelby, yes. that letter that I got from Shamey Me, yes. that I put on your desk, can you bring it to me, please? Sure, it's an invitation. Yeah, it's an invitation. It's a, it's a weird invitation. It's a, it's a restaurant that's being blessed by a, mo- a Monsignor. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Shamey Me. No, can I have the, the envelope? Yeah, the envelope. So... T- talking to you sure. about what you're basically talking about is that <clears throat> I was thrilled when I saw because the stamp was so different, so I, it caught my eye and I kept looking at it, and I just about made out in, in in little red letters in the in the charcoal bottom of it, Edith Piaf. That's who that person is. Oh wow! <clears throat> so I was thrilled. I was thrilled to see her. But Edith Piaf, when she was struggling for for a few pennies, uh,
1: sous they
4: were called in French, you know, in, in the backyards of of the of the Parisian tenements and singing in the, you know, uh, I mean she had no idea that one day people would say, "Oh my God, Edith Piaf," you know. Yeah. She was just. And that this
3: moment of her would just be a snapshot in time. Right. Exactly.
5: Yeah. So
4: I'm saying, we we all we all. We all I do it too. I make the same. I have the same stupid feelings you do about the past and how wonderful things were, and and they gain a certain amount of stature and glory simply because they were in the past. Mm-hmm. But I think when they were doing them, um, it was it was a struggle to get a laugh, to make a living, to you know, yeah. And now, but now we look back at them like they're. They're truly hunks of art. Well, it's funny. Yeah. When
3: you're a young comic and you're, you're – you're, I think when you first start out doing comedy and then you, you kind of go, all right, all the stuff that's happening now is really innovative and the old stuff, we're better than that stuff now. We're different. <clears throat> and then the older you get, you realize, nope, it's all the same. The comedy writers have always been the same. It's right. the same right, yeah. kind of mindset. The jokes – a lot of the jokes still hold up. It's the same yeah. exact thing. You track it, them all back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what were you guys building off of now? Like if so much stuff was derivative from the stuff that we you guys We were building build. off Harold
4: Lloyd and, and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and and the Ritz brothers and the and and the Marx brothers and and we we had all of that and we kind of knew we knew what good comedy was.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: And we knew what the rhythms of good comedy was, what the premises of good comedy was because we we had these these hunks of art from the past yeah. and I'm sure when the Ritz brothers were doing their stuff they had no idea that, they, that anybody would ever remember them or they would but they, they did about 10 years with 20th Century Fox they were the comedy relief in all the Sonia Henney pictures Sonia Henney was an Olympic star uh, she won she won a gold medal for ice skating for figure mm-hmm. skating and she became a 20th Century Fox star Sonia Henney and she was in movies with Cesar Romero and <laughs> John Payne and you know, and the Ritz brothers or they had Fox. I worked for Fox for a long time and and, and every I'll get that you 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 say sure talk about the the the, the Fox graduates or yep. the Fox alumni. You know, in okay. a minute. But I was looking at you know all the Fox pictures and they had two comedy relief items. One was. The Ritz Brothers, who got their stuff from Aaron Labadoff and some kind of crazy Jewish comedy, (laughs) you got to get a record called (coughs) "Romania" Mm -hmm. by Aaron Labadoff. It's it's insane, okay, and it's it is genius. It's pure, and the Ritz Brothers just took it, stole it, and did their own thing. (laughs) with it. And and there was the. Borominovich and his harmonica rascals with Johnny Puglio that kept hitting um, Boris Minovich in the balls because he was very short,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he strike,
4: he always strike him in the balls, and 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 so every 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 time there was I don't know a Betty Grable or an Alice Faye or one of those Fox musicals they needed comedy relief uh, if they couldn't get Jack Okey in the frame in the middle of the movie then they they had these acts and the two basic acts were the Ritz brothers or Borominovich and the Harmonica Rascals. Okay. And often the acts are the most more valuable than the storyline <laughs> and you know and, and and you know and the emotional movie itself, you know. And and, and they're, to me they and that, those are my sources. I would go back to Borominovich or I'd go back to the Ritz brothers and and they, they lived in me, you know.
3: So, so talk about the Fox graduates now.
4: Every Friday we meet at a restaurant. Alan Ladd Jr. Uh, ran Fox. I I'm just I I'm almost almost right on the dates from from uh, the early seventies. Uh, yeah, I think he got the job in in uh, seventy three. Like yeah, 73 or 74. and I was making trying to get a movie made, and Columbia was going to do it, and uh, it was Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And Columbia said five you know, they wanted to give me one I remember exactly. Mike Greskoff, who's the producer, you just mentioned my favorite year. He mm-hmm. also produced my favorite oh, okay. year. Got he's it. like he's one of the the graduates that you know, the, we we meet the Fox graduates we, mm-hmm. we meet in a restaurant. But Lad it's a lot of Alan Ladd Junior, Laddie. Alan Ladd, the actor, his son. Okay. Look he looks a lot like him. And um so, Mike and Laddie and Freddie Fields, and they're all working at uh, CMA with David Beagleman. and Laddie was picked to run 20th Century Fox out, out of that agency, out mm-hmm. of that artist agency. Meanwhile, I'm dealing with the Schneiders and with other people and Mike at Columbia. And we're gonna, they like, the movie they like the script they like Young Frankenstein they want to do it I need I say uh, I've done the producers I've done what have I done I've done no 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 I've done I've done the producers I've done 12 chairs I've done Blazing Saddles I know what movies cost I don't know how they got to get made so they're going to be one seven I said I can't do it for one seven I can do it for two I can just about two million you know Mm -hmm. you know what what do movies cost today? Fifty. You know what did Max's movie cost? A uh, world oh, movie I don't scene. even. I don't even know. Two hundred billion. Probably. I mean, yeah. 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 So they they give me a big fight and they're not sure about it. And they'll get back to me for the two, but I've got one seven five zero oh for sure. And as I leave the meeting at Columbia on Gower Street, I I yell back through the open door. Oh by the way, uh, it's going to be in black and white.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> threw that over my shoulder. There, there's, there's a lot of consternation in the form of no, stop. Wait, you know. <laughs> and you know, they all come, they all grabbed me by the collar, they threw me back and we had a big and I think one of them said really funny, broke me up. And said Peru just got color. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget hearing that. You know, <laughs> Peru just got color. You know, so anyway, uh, they they said no, no, no. Uh, we'll give you the two million. You know, we'll give you the. You can make the, but it's got to be in color. We black and white. I mean, you know. I said it's it's a, it's like a salute to James Whale. It's like the, it's it's got to be a sweating stone. Castles and and uh, the monster's face would be green. I mean, yeah. it, it's got to be in black and white. That's the only way to do it properly. So they they said no no we uh, let's meet again tomorrow. Meanwhile that night, Gruskoff, the producer gets to Alan Ladd Jr. who's just been there for like a day and a half at Fox. Gets him the script. They're up all night. He calls me in the morning and Laddie says I will do it. What do you need? Two and a half, two, two, whatever, whatever you need, we'll, we'll we'll do it. It should be in black and white. Oh, good. So I uh, I called Columbia and I said, unless you give me, an, you know, I don't want to be yeah. fairly fair. Unless you give me a, an answer immediately, that I, I get at least two million, and it's got because I didn't, you know, negotiations. I, I just didn't want to pull out, and it's got to be in black and white. They said we we met, we've been meeting all night. it Can't be in black and white. We've got to pass. Yay! (laughs) Yay, they pass and Laddie, you know. So Laddie became my friend there and then. And I'll never forget later going to down to Alan Ladd's office and saying, I got an idea for a movie. It's um it's a throwback to silent movies. We're gonna call it silent movie. And he said, Stop, stop. Young Frankenstein, no color, went back to and now, no sound. (laughs) He says you know what, what? What you know? What's next? You're going to just run, run, just show us cards and run off. You know? <laughs> and and anyway, I told him, what, what if I got stars, just like we do in the movie, just like I try to convince Sid Caesar in silent movie that if he invests money in the movie, we'll get stars to do the movie, and that'll save it from just being a silent movie. So I did the same thing earlier with Laddie. I said, what if I got Burt Reynolds or I got Paul Newman? He said, do it, yeah, good, you know, we'll do it. So anyway, every Friday, Paul Mazursky,
5: mm-hmm.
4: who was doing Unmarried Woman at the time, across the hall, and uh, the, the same Mike Ruskoff we're talking about, who produced a lot of movies for me, and, and, and Lady Luck, uh, what, what, something with Burt Reynolds, with Lady, he, he, do, he did a lot of movies for Fox. Okay. So there's Gruskoff there's Laddie, there's Mazurski. There's Richard Donner, Dick Donner. Sure. Who did The Omen and... and uh, Superman. Uh, Superman and Lethal Weapon, maybe mm-hmm. four of them. So he's a, a graduate of Fox, too. Uh, and, and Jay Cantor, who was uh, kind of uh, Laddie's right arm, and left the agency with him. When Jay Cantor was with MCA, he handled, and they only wanted Jay Cantor. He's about three foot six. I don't know. <laughs> he can like my my standard joke. He could walk under a coffee table with a high hat on. <laughs> and he's the sweetest guy that ever lived. And some of his some of his clients were Montgomery Clift, wow. Grace Kelly, Jesus. Marlon Brando, Marilyn Monroe, Warren Beatty, they, and they only wanted Jay, Jay Cantor. And, and when you meet him, you know why, because he is the sweetest, easiest, smartest guy, you know, and, and uh, always orders every week. He saved, I, I pay, I pay every week because uh, The Producers was a big hit on Broadway, so yeah. I still have money from that. Yeah. And uh, he always orders a cop salad with blue cheese dressing. So
3: every so if we ever take yeah. a lunch, yeah, we know exactly what we're in for. Yeah. out with blue cheese dressing.
4: Yeah, and it's it's not expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Mazurski M- kills me. Mazurski. Oh, I'm not making this up. Mazurski always orders a, a, a you know a, a rib steak, you know, big.
3: Five, I'll take five rib steaks. Yeah, yeah. Big <laughs> big,
4: big, big price. So we, anyway, we all meet every Friday and we talk and like this, like we're talking awesome. now. Yeah. And I'm always saying, you know it is. We can't look at it. I I, do this, I have the speech ready for for, for oh remember.
2: Mel, what'd you think about last week's lunch? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Isn't this great what we're doing right now? Don't right. don't talk about the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when last week's lunch was the greatest yeah. lunch ever? <laughs> How do you when when you're
3: like so. You're dealing with, like, the heads of all the studios at this point by the time you're doing Young Frankenstein. It feels like you don't have to go in and pitch to lower-level people like, okay, it's a Black and White movie, it's a Young Frankenstein. But, you know, but going back further, you know, how do you get a movie like Blazing Saddles going? What, what was, the, what was, the, what was the, the germ of that?
4: Oh, the, that's good. That's a good question. I am going to choose to take the fifth. Okay. And have my constitutional rights. So I'm not going to tell you anything about that. Okay. No, I've just mm. changed my mind. Okay, good. Oh, This worked out so I'm well. i to tell you everything. Uh, about this it. worked out really well. I just went on just a mental decided, journey and came back with. I've, yeah, I've decided to tell you everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> so what about what about what about uh, Blazing Saddles started with a, a the outline of a movie called Tex X, written created by Andrew Bergman. Okay. Now you know who Andrew Bergman is, is he? No. Bergman, Andrew, Andrew Bergman, Andy Bergman has done. Uh, the Elvis picture, he, he, he's he's a good, he's a terrific- Okay, well then I direct, know that. Director, and uh, anyway, he was just, he was a writer in those days, and he had a great idea. He had an idea that uh, a black sheriff comes into a white town and he speaks Harlem 74, uh, and they speak, Western 1874. Mm-hmm. So that clash, you know, and I said and I said, so how did it happen? I'm walking down the street, Beagleman sees me. I've done two movies and I don't have a nickel in my pocket. I'm broke. I've I've done the producers which just about it probably made money but we we never saw it. And uh and then I did uh, the 12 chairs which nobody saw. Yeah. It's probably my best movie. I it's mean, it's probably, movie. probably the best movie i made.
3: But isn't that kind of funny? And then we'll get back to the Blazing Seattles in a second that a- as an artist or as a comedian, sometimes the things that you write that are your, your absolute favorite, like this is who I am, this is the best example of what I do, and for some reason it doesn't always...
4: Right, no, they don't agree. The, wor- the world doesn't agree. <laughs> Why do you think that is? The world says, no, your best movie is Spaceballs. <laughs> That's what they keep saying. They keep telling me my best movie is Spaceballs and... You know, and I say, no, you don't understand. It's the Prisoner of Zenda. Wait a minute, I didn't write that. No, I meant, <laughs> yeah. you know, I meant it was the Twelve Chairs, you yeah. know, which, which was a hell of a movie, which was a, a, a very good
3: yeah. movie. So, bla- so Blazing Saddles then. So
4: anyway, uh, we start. X, Bigelman says, Have you eaten lunch? I said, not. Uh, I hadn't not for days. <laughs> so he takes me to the Sherry Netherland, which this is in New York, and he buys me lunch, takes me back to his office. And he says don't give me don't give me your routine I know what your routine is because I always call you and you always say I only do my own stuff David I'm I'm not interested in
1: working on anybody
4: else's material I just if it don't come out of my head I'm not interested in doing it so he said just read this read this Andy Bergman thing I I think I could I can get it green-lighted. so uh, I read it I say it's good <laughs> I can't believe it this guy, he he must, he's as good as I am. I can't believe anybody <laughs> is as good as I. Am. So anyway, I I I said I like it, and I'm broke. So he says, I think you know, I think I could, I could, you know, what have you been making? I said, well, fifty thousand a picture, but it's four years, so, uh, you know, I'm actually broke. And uh, and uh, Anne was uh, just pregnant with Max Brooks, mm-hmm. you know. So and I needed, I really n- knew I needed some money. I uh, just can't. I couldn't keep living on Ann. Ann would give me money under the table to pay for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> she would, and I would pay. And one time, we usually eat in Chinese restaurants. So you could, you know, for, for, for ten or fifteen dollars, you could have a big meal. Yeah. You know, and then usually you leave a two dollar tip or three dollar yeah, tip. It's a lot. So this time I felt the expense. She gave me money under the table. The bill was fourteen dollars. I left a five dollar. Tip, and she slapped me. <laughs> she said, "What are you being a big shot with my money? You know, you know you're thousand, you're leaving you know, such a big tip. You know, it's a Chinese uh, restaurant." <laughs> so it was great. So Beagleman convinced me to do blazing Saddles. and I said, "I'll do it only if we do it like the show of shows. If I get a gang of guys like we used to write the Sit Caesar show, and everybody was yelling funny stuff or jokes or whatever, and and, and I organized it." and I wrote it and directed it. So he called Warner Brothers and he got that deal for me. Uh-huh. And he said, he said this is, there was a writing budget, you know, altogether it, it must have been something like $100,000, mm-hmm. which was pretty good money in those days. And for, for $100,000, we got uh, Andy Bergman, I took the original writer with me, uh, Richard Pryor. Oh my God. Richard Pryor was one of the writers, a buddy of mine. From the, just hang around the village together, and uh, Norman Steinberg, who later wrote uh, My Favorite Year mm-hmm. with uh, with me and some others, and he was he was terrific, and he had a partner who was a dentist, who was funny. He went right back, did Blazing Saddles, got paid, went right back to being a dentist. He said, I don't show business, no, <laughs> no good. I know. I don't know the cane, uh, I know how to pull out a tooth, I know, I, the rest of it is scary and, 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 and confusing, you know, show business. He didn't want to, he stopped being a writer. <laughs> and, but Norman went on to write Johnny Dangerously. He wrote a lot of, oh, you know, yeah. Steinberg did some wonderful stuff. And he's still a buddy of mine, he just got married. Again, Oh wow! Mm. <laughs> again, again, for the third time. <laughs> I warned him about against all the wives he picked, but this one seems to be all right.
3: Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to
4: So, uh, and we all sat down. Talk about Chinatown. We all went to 17 Mott Street at 2 in the morning. It was open all night, Chinatown. And so we would write until 12 or 1 in the morning, and then we'd, we'd go down to Chinatown. And usually it ended up with Andy, Norman, and I, and the, uh, Richard was off doing something with someone. And, uh, <laughs> Anyway, I said to the, I said to the group, I said this will never get done. And we'll get but we're going to get paid for writing it. So let's just write something that we know no one would allow us to ever write. <laughs> it's actually a good yeah. place to come from when
3: you're yeah. writing comedy because then yeah. you don't then you're not constrained and you sort of then you can sort of pie in the sky and go, "Well, if we could do anything we want, yeah, right. what would it be?"
4: So I said this is a great premise. And and we got a great little engine with this black and white thing going. So uh I, I guess we Pryor wanted to write Mongo, only Mongo. It was crazy. <laughs> <You> know, Mongo <laughs> Mongo only pawn in game of life. <laughs> I mean he was writing these crazy no mango no, I think mango's taking a liking to no taking a liking to you, Sheriff. Oh no, mango straight. He would write <laughs> Mango would say, No, mango straight. He'd write all these crazy mango things. And I would write all the black stuff. And then I and I would say, Richard, bless it. <laughs> 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 I got the N-word here, thank you, bless it, bless it.
3: And he would say okay. <clears throat> He'd say okay, okay.
4: Once in a while, he'd say, "No, no, that's only for brothers." Yeah, he'd say that. I, step too far. Okay, I'd want to take a step back. But, but he allowed me to do, to say and do all those dangerous things. You know, vis-a-vis black and white. You know. And then, so w-
3: when you're actually shooting the movie, yeah, how much is, is the script pretty locked at that point, or is, is it Harvey Corman or you know, or, or any of, are people improvising? It, at it's all? so
4: locked. It is so there's little or no ad-libs. Everybody thinks, oh, well, 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 you know. The only time in history of the world I let Gregory Hines go a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, because he just had a charming, wonderful, beautiful way of, of of saying things. So there was the extra line, a word or two that Gregory Hines would, uh, you know, and the takes he would do. Like he says to Madeleine Kahn, uh, he's, 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 a, he's supposed to be a palace, Slave, yeah. And he's pour he's pouring the empress some wine, and says to her, "Say when." She says, 8.30. And he, <laughs> he does this incredible take, you know, you know. And so anyway, but most of the time, everybody thinks, "Oh, what, well, what?" Well, Mel Brooks, wild and woolly, Mushuga, wild, crazy, no script, no just Commedia dell'arte, run wild, you know. <laughs> Every line, there's so much money to make a movie you add lib and the cameraman doesn't know it you add lib and and the lighting people don't know it and 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 you're you're finished it doesn't work so you've got to add lib a lot before you shoot it
3: well especially in your in, in your movies where the jokes there's a very specific mechanism that the exactly. rhythms have to play this and this and this and this and this, and this. what time 8:30 you know then his yeah. it has to it has to work a certain way yeah when
4: fritz feld yeah that mm-hmm. guy says push the mold wine in history of the world i'm a waiter at the last supper <laughs> i remember i mean we have to play back on that and i have to push the wine and and then jesus says yea yea ye, but one of you shall betray me this night before the dawn rises and i say judas do you want the mold wine you know, <laughs> you know so you know so we, we go back you know yeah everything is more or less more precise it looks wild and crazy, but but it's it's it it has to be plotted very carefully.
3: Well isn't that but that I but isn't that kind of a sign of of good art where it's sort of like it looks like it's spontaneous. Right. But it's actually it's 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 so meticulously built. It's
4: meticulously crafted.
3: Yeah, that's what you were looking for. That's exactly meticulous what
4: what and crafted work yeah. together. Yeah, I'll help you for the balance. Please yeah. listen. If you balance
3: would want if you would just punch up my life, I would let yeah, you do that. Exactly. If you would <laughs> let great. me do that, I and, like that. And, and, and Madeline Kahn too. Madeline Kahn's another one like Gilda Radner, where it's like, I just, yeah. why couldn't you have lived longer oh. b- to t- so that people? I mean, oh. so often I've said
4: exactly what you said. Why couldn't you have lived longer? You
3: know so just, flawless.
4: Yeah, I mean everything she did she I I allowed her to physically ad-lib a lot. Yeah. Like uh her humming along with the song and just bending the key just wrong. <laughs> humming along with I wrote the song so you know I would you know, I, you know as a composer you always want the song to be very precise and very and be in the center of the note and not you know but when she hummed along with I'm tired, uh, she just missed. And it was so funny, <laughs> yeah, you know, you have to allow her. And then when she leaned on on, on something t- to support her and she missed that too, you know, she just, I mean, she was just worth the wait and go. You know, you know yeah. what's still
3: really funny too is Cloris Leachman. Yeah. I interviewed her a couple years ago and she's so, like so amazingly sharp yeah. and, yeah. and funny. Like just like a riff machine.
4: If you were smoking, she would have slapped the cigarette out of your mouth.
3: I do. I was not.
4: <laughs> oh, you're lucky. She's very. She was dangerous on the set. Anybody who smoked, she ran over to and slapped it. Wow. You know, she was she was crazy. <laughs> is it is it not is it true Is it not true?
3: Years ago, someone said, "Oh, do you know uh, Frau Blucher means glue factory in German, and that's why the horse freaks out."
4: I went with that. I think it's false, but I went along. It sounds great. Right. So I went along with it, but I'm not sure. I don't think "blucher" means glue, but you know, it sounds like glue.
3: I guess it'd be really yeah, easy yeah, to look that yeah, word yeah, up, but I just yeah. haven't.
4: I mean, what? the hell? We're not in Germany. Who knows? <laughs> not, we have we have rights. <laughs> but you know, what's funny. What, what
3: what's interesting about what you what you do and what I feel like I see in your in your films is that um, you you know you dance into areas that people might say, "Oh, that's not politically correct to do that." But in effect, what you're doing is your films are, like, great cultural equalizers. Everyone's equal. Everyone's, and, you know, characters like black characters are the strong characters, Are like, in To Be or Not To Be, the whole idea of, like, sm- smuggling the homosexual makeup artist out of yeah, Germany. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. everyone's equal. So even though you do dance into these waters of, like, this could be considered, you know, politically incorrect, it's like, yeah, but the other message is that we're all equal, and we can all laugh about stuff, and these are the strong characters just as much as the other.
4: Yeah, it's true, it's true. Oh, by the way, one of the... Uh in, his, in in uh, to be or not to be, one of the little little Jews in the cellar, little boy is Max Brooks. He's, nine, he's What? Nine, yeah, Max is nine oh. years old, and he says, "Thank you, Mr. Bronsky." Oh, he's, so, he's so he's so cute. Uh, he had to be made up as a clown to escape because we were kind of a circus troupe escaping, yeah. and it was so tough to put all the makeup on him. He said, he confided to me, you know, after that picture, he said. Uh, Dad, I said, what what, what? what, Max? He said, I'm not going to be an actor <laughs> because he never, you know. He said, you have to do it again, and then they want you to do it again, and then again, you know, because you know it's always three or four takes. Yeah. And he didn't, he didn't understand that. We did that, you know. He said, we got it. You know, <laughs> he was nine. He knew better. You know could have saved us a lot of money if we listened to Max. You know, do it once, move on, you know? But he, so he never became an actor because he didn't, he just simply didn't want to get all that makeup on him and everything. Yeah, And he wanted to play and then you, kept, you had to keep coming back and go to this phony baloney school. Like, you know, there was supposed to be a teacher on the set who was, the kids were smarter than the teacher. I was old. Anyway, we had a lot of fun. Max was one of the little Jews, and
3: <laughs> was there any sense when he was like, "Mom, Dad, I don't want to be an actor," and you guys are like,
4: "What?" Yeah, no, we were. We, I was pretty happy about it, you know, because <laughs> it's a tough life. Getting, yeah, yeah. getting jobs as an actor is, is the toughest thing you can do.
3: Do you feel like it's easier to be a comedian in the sense that because if you're an actor, it's not like you can just go act, but if you're a if you're a comedian, you can do stand
4: up. Yeah, you can yeah, write. you can make it up. Yeah, you can go to go to comedy clubs. No, a comedian has a much wider range of of opportunity than an actor. An actor has to wait for a part, he has to audition, he has, unless he's Tom Cruise or somebody, but yep. if you just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a heartbreaking river of tears you see outside they're lining up for one line or something there's you know 132 <laughs> yeah. actors yeah. it's just it's you bum. know you want to I say give them pop a nickel and butter give them something yeah Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
5: so give, I mean, you know, feed
4: awesome. those actors you know. what do
3: you think it is about do you feel like do you feel like comedy kind of breaks comedians a little bit or do comedians come in a little broken I just I've heard these stories about Sid Caesar even on top of his game where they would say you know what do you do on your day off oh, I would just sit in the shower and shake or you know yeah, like yeah. You know, because he was she was so high strung and anxious, and
4: what? Is yeah, that well, it? I mean, you know, it's difficult. It's all very hard to be to be a, a kind of a in that stratospheric range of comedy. Sid Caesar and people, you know, he gave he gave more than he had, and you know, he was a brilliant a, a comedy actor. He wasn't, uh, the stuff came out of him. As a matter of fact, he raised, you know, I, I'd, he had the greatest writing staff, and he still raised the material.
3: Yeah. He raised the material. Who he else said, was on the writing staff besides well, you? Well,
4: I mean, you know, to my left, Larry Gelbart, the greatest comedy writer that ever lived. To my right, Neil Simon, who wrote a, <laughs> wrote a couple of funny, <laughs> he did a couple of movies. funny plays and behind me. There was Woody Allen, of, you know, for a couple of shows. There was people like Joe Stein, who wrote Fiddler on the Roof? There was our our typist, our little secretary, redhead typist, Mike Stewart. wrote Bye Bye Birdie and Dolly and Mame and you know I mean he was just our typist. We nobody even spoke to him, you know. We would just say get it down, you know. <laughs> he was he was great. I mean we had we had it was a remarkable uh, writing staff and and and. Uh, but you needed a lot of good writers and you need a lot of writers and, and, and still we only had five or six. I think Max, when Max was, my son was writing Saturday Night Live for a couple of seasons, mm-hmm. he said there were 18 writers.
3: Yeah, it's intense.
4: I mean, you know, it's, you know, and everybody begging, begging to get their one, one or two jokes in, you know. So it, was
3: it true that it- it's, you know, you're only, are you only as satisfied as your last joke kind of a thing? It's kind
4: of like that. I mean, you know, I mean, every when, you, when you're doing, okay, listen, sitcoms today, what do they do? Do they do 16 in a season, I think? Or,
3: yeah, 16 or 22 yeah. or something.
4: We did 39 shows in a season, 39, and each one was an hour and a half with, with, Comedy uh, guest sketches, with domestic sketches, with stand up monologues, with pantomimes, with musical numbers, with an hour. Every Brand new off. every week. Every week. A, a, a Broadway review every single week on television. And we were all burnt down, and especially Sid Caesar, who used to sit in the shower all day Sunday and shake. And just, you know, have the water tumble over him and you know, and try to try to survive. I don't know how he did it. I'll tell you a story. I'm gonna get some more water. I'll be right back sure, sure, about sure. me and Sid Caesar.
3: Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna get some more water. I'm gonna get some water as well, if that's okay.
4: No, oh. I just, me, I just, I said I was the one.
2: Yeah, but
3: I Chris there's bottles do. in
2: the other room.
4: No, I wanna do what Mel
3: did. Oh, I'm getting a <laughs> bottle of
2: water. Oh thank you. Thank you. Wonderful.
1: Okay.
4: Thank you, sir. Look at, all, look at all the bottles
3: of water. We're so rich. So much more. We're, we're water. We're water millionaires.
4: Okay. Oh, this is, an, this is a true and very interesting story because I'll be the judge of what is true and interesting. Yes, please. Okay. Well, true. Okay. I can be the judge. I can be the judge of true.
3: You could just you could yeah. say Sid Caesar had wings, and then every Sunday he would fly to the desert, and I would say, "Great."
4: Uh, no, that wouldn't be true. Okay. But this is true. So we've done. Okay, let's go back. Okay. Can I have Thurman music? Waving.
3: Like like Thurman from the Beach Boys yeah. song, or just no. like a free? Okay.
4: No theremin from uh, from yeah, that's it. What would Spellbound? Spellbound Thurman, right? Good. That's enough. Oh, I'm
3: sorry. <laughs> I just needed validation.
4: Covered. We covered. No, I just so covered a lot. Yeah, of
3: but things. I just want you to tell me my theremin's we really good. We went too far back, Chris. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. So
4: Forward theremin. I mean. I'm talking. It, it is one of these Sundays. Sit, you know, I'm having like to dry off Sid Caesar from the, from the shower. And I'm sitting with him. Ostensibly, he invites me up. He was living at 74th Street and Park Avenue. Nice apartment and uh, essentially to, to talk about the, new, uh, the next week and some ideas for comedy stuff, but it wasn't about that at all. He, I, I said, Sid, think of Red Skelton, think of Bob Hope, think of Danny Kaye. They're gonna be around for a long time. Why? Because they make movies, and movies have a very durable and a very long life television is recorded on kinescopes and they're paper thin and sometimes they, they don't land. And sometimes if they're put on tape, the tape is erased so that they could like, no my, I think it's when I did Johnny Carson, the, f- the very first Johnny Carson show I was a guest. I was very funny I think they erased the tape. Ugh. We can't find it. Mm. Some audio we found but we can't, we can't find the tape. So I said to Sid, oh, you've done two seasons. Your contract is coming up in six weeks. I knew exactly. I said, Sid, here's what I propose. Sid Caesar and Mel Brooks, we go out. I had been, during the first two seasons, I had been to Columbia. I was, someone tapped me, uh, Freddie Colmar. Look at this, I'm almost 100, I still remember names. <laughs> Freddie Comar, producer at Columbia Pictures, brought me to see Jerry Wald, who ran their movie production. And uh, Jerry Wald said, yeah, I think he could do it. They were gonna do Pal Joey, a very famous Broadway show, and they were gonna get Frank Sinatra to do it. So they brought me out to write it. And I came out, and uh, Hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 Hollywood. I lived on Orange Drive, right behind the, you know, and I saw Douglas Fairbanks' hand and right, you know, in, in the cement and his feet. And I, I couldn't believe, you know, Marlene and Dietrich, they were all there. I lived right, right behind the Chinese, uh, the Grauman, you uh-huh. know, the Chinese theater on Orange. And so I said to Sid, I'm welcome. I could go out there, they'll, they'll accept the movie that I write. You are the biggest star on television. They're certainly going to accept. If I put together a movie, we, they're going to say, yes, and we're going to do that movie. So, and I said, oh, that it's going to last? But you can't do that movie because you have 39 hour and a half shows to do. Which, which, you know, is, just, is literally soul-searing. I mean, I don't know how you, I you know. So he said, you're right. Movies, take your time. I said, you know, I could get some other writers. We could write a great movie for you. And I could direct it. I'm a, he said, but you've never, I said, I can, I'm good. I can do it. He said, I agree. Okay, that's what we're going to do. You will get them written and you will direct them. I will star in them and we'll make movies. And we shook hands and we were going to do that. And this was, okay, 1953. We're going to make movies. So he tells Max Lieben, who was the producer of the show of shows, who in turn immediately... You know his wig flies off. He wore it today, <laughs> and he, his wig probably flew in the air. And he called <laughs> Sylvester Pat Weaver, who was the genius who put together this thing called the Show of Shows, who was Sigourney Weaver's father. Oh, yeah, right. Pat Weaver, and um, so they go crazy. You know, they got, you know, they got a lot of sponsors. They got Sid are booked. And, you know, and but he hasn't signed for the next for the third season. Third, fourth, and fifth seasons. And uh, anyway, it's very, it's it's kind of cataclysmic. So I don't hear from Sid. Uh, we're still on hiatus for a little while. And, I, and uh, I call him every day, and he can't. And then finally two weeks go by and he calls me. Mel, I can't do it. I, I'd like to and you're right and I know I'll regret it all my life and he does regret it right now to this day he said I know I'll regret it the rest of my life but I can't do it he was making $5,000 a show
5: mm-hmm.
4: and they offered him they finally convinced him they gave him $25,000 a show oh my god like 1953 geez. oh my god I mean you know that's you know that, that's like being a millionaire Literally. So he said, I can't do it. He said, maybe down the line, you know, maybe there'll be other opportunities and we'll do it. But we never got back to to doing that. And I said, I knew that was my way out. And I finally ended up making movies. I started making them in New York and I ended up making them in uh, Hollywood.
3: But it's interesting that you still had, you know, when you talk about when Blazing Saddles came along... That was, you know, well over a decade later, and you still, you still had all the ups and downs. And you, even at that time, you were like, "Oh, I was, I was broke."
4: Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. Well, money didn't mean anything. But you could exercise your, for want of a better word, art. You could exercise your, your dreams, your vision, and you know whether they worked for the audience or not, or for critics or not. You got them out of your soul, and they were there, and they were there forever, and they are still there forever. I made, you know, some of the dopiest movies ever made, they're there. They're they're there forever and ever. Silent movie is a dopey movie, it's there forever.
3: I love the critic, by the way. Where it's just it's so, it's such a it's, simple idea yeah. of just this weird animation and what is this? Just yeah, the voiceover.
4: A, a little old Jewish man trying to make sense out of it. <laughs> you know? And 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 then people Saying, "Hey, shut up! You shut up! I'm going to die soon," you know. (laughs) I mean, stuff that's so real, you know. And but it, it, you know, there's nothing like. They have not come up in my life with anything better than movies, as far as I'm concerned. I still think movies are the best. Do you get to the movies a lot? I do, but I don't have to get to them. I, they, you know, they
3: bring it... The, yeah, I'm them. a
4: member of the Academy. I get, you know, DVDs, and then I sell them later in China. <laughs> 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 I mean,
3: it's perfect, you know. Max uh, said that, uh, that every night you still go hang out with Carl, and you guys...
4: Yeah, almost, almost every night. I, I'm with, I'm with wow. Carl Reiner, and, and we, do, we do very little reminiscing. We, we're just up to date. Sometimes we do reallys. I mean, it's just crazy. He will... Uh, You'll say i'm going to teach you this is true carl will do this carl is crazy <laughs> carl, he says i'm going to teach you how to describe the face the human face in french i said, I said okay okay go he said the tin the tin i said the, the chin no tin chin, t-z-i-t-z-i-n tin tin okay the tin good the cheek, cheek, T-Z-E-E-E-E-K-K. <laughs> the cheek, okay, the cheek. He points to magic. Then he says, then no, the nose. Know, I say the and Finally, I know I have to do it like he does. Yeah. The nose, the nose. He's happy. i make making him happy. <laughs> yeah. Then this is true. This happened like two weeks ago. And then, and then he says, of the eye, of the eye, the eye. And he point, and he, and he, point, he pushes just below my eye, and you know, the lid, it points to the eye. And I say, no. I said, no. He said, what What mean you know? You know. <laughs> I said, no, not, that is not the eye. He said, that is, is the eye, the eye. I said, okay, that is not the eye. I said, "What is the eye?" And I put my finger on his eyeball. <laughs> you know? I said, "That is the eye." <laughs> and he was so. his eye I ran for a little while, you know. But we both were hysterical. <laughs> you know? So we do, that, and we do that just for ourselves, just comedy for you know entre nous, you know, just for us. So we still we still hang out and we watch uh, stuff. Carl says he'll only watch a movie. If it has dialogue in it, like, secure the perimeters. (laughs) He likes secure the perimeters. (laughs) And he also likes, he's pretty brilliant, he also likes try to get some rest. (laughs) He says, if it has, try to get some rest and secure the perimeters. So just caught movies? Yeah. Yeah. There's an apocalypse movie. Try to get some rest. Right. So we like the Bourne movies. We like those. <laughs> <laughs> try, to try to get some rest. <laughs> he likes, you know, just, it's in almost every bad movie. And movie. So, you-, you know, so I see him. You know, he hasn't lost much. I mean, physically, he's not. You know, he's not Carl Reiner anymore. He's a little bent. He's, you know, it's. He's slower. He takes a lot of different, you know, things for, you know, for his pressure and stuff like that.
3: But he's still the same guy. But
4: he's still basically the same guy. And we, uh, you know, and uh, I encourage him. I'm probably going to kill him. I encourage him to eat bratwurst and beans <laughs> and sauerkraut and, you know, and potatoes. And He should enjoy his life. I, exactly. He's, he's going to be 91. What's the sense of being on a strict diet now? I mean, I, I said to him, Carl, take three years off your life and die happy. You know? <laughs> right. You know, it's it, better. It makes more sense. Eat what you want. Do
3: you, still, uh, do you still feel the comic gene? Like, do you want to perform? Do you have a desire to do that anymore? I you-
4: do, once in a while. Where's my hat? Where's my hat? Where's my hat? <laughs> Here's my hat. Here's my hat. Where's my hat? There it is. Here's my hat. Do I have the... To- do I have the comic gene? Where was I, thir-
5: now, I Where notice- was I
4: Thursday night?
3: I couldn't help but notice your hat says Jimmy Kimmel Live. Were you recently on the program? Thursday night. L- Thursday, Thursday night.
4: I was on, and I was pretty, pretty good. Pretty funny. <laughs> I was pretty funny. I broke him up anyway.
3: Oh, that's good. What did you did you talk about the you talk about the DVD the new DVD collection?
4: No, I. I you know, I eschewed. Salesmanship, because I thought that was in questionable taste. So I I left that to him, but I kept pointing to the box set, <laughs> even though I didn't talk. Yeah, you know. and he did. He kept pushing it. He kept pushing the box set. You know, he'd, he'd throw it up for the for the camera to see. But we did. I did a lot of you know, not necessarily stuff for the box set or in the box set, but. Uh, I did some really strange and funny things. Cause he asked me what was the most embarrassing moment, you know, you've ever had in like in, on a show in public and and I said, I don't even have to think I know I know. I mean it just it haunts me. It's it's like thirty forty years ago, it's to this day I get shivers thinking about it. It's the most embarrassing thing that ever happened. He said, Well what I said, I was on the I was on a show <clears throat> with Julia Mead, she was my partner, on some kind of, you know, quiz show. And it was called, I Guess. And the host, you're a little young for this, the host was a wonderful, the best quiz show host that ever lived, Bill Cullen. Oh, I know, I know who Crew he is. cut and, and the black uh, yeah. horn-rimmed glasses, you know. And, and fast and, and sweet and funny, and he really, he could make those shows move along. And so we were an I guess, and, and, and it was an interesting show, and I kept doing kind of, I was a bad boy, and I kept doing, you know, my, the, the Mel Brooks ad-libs and bad stuff, you know. Uh, no no dirty words, but edging, I was edgy, you know. And uh, so the show was over, and the audience had laughed a lot, and uh, he yelled from his little, he always was behind a little desk, a little dais, and you know, and he, he yelled, Mel, funny, so so funny here give me a hug and he left this is true you can't you know you won't be able to hear this because sure. i'm going to do it yeah And he said yes yes this is true obviously i you know in all the 100 different shows he's like the dais and the little desk is up to here and so he gets from behind it and he says mel give me a hug <laughs> oh so, and he's doing he's doing this crazy walk you know and i say Oh, and I think, I say, oh, Jerry Lewis, we're doing Jerry Lewis. Oh no! So, you know, oh no! He's a physical comic. No, and he loves physical comic. So I say, Yo, Billy. oh Billy, oh Billy. And, and Julia meets screaming after me. He's crippled. He had polio. Oh. He had polio. He's crippled. <laughs> oh, Don't do and, and I'm doing. I'm
1: saying, secure the perimeter. And I'm saying, two legs. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and i too late. I did it. You have to commit to it at I that did, point. Uh, but I did it on Kimmel, and the audience, everybody went crazy.
3: Oh my God,
4: the audience went wild.
3: <laughs> did mm. it feel when you were doing Kimmel, Did it feel like, oh, I got to do this more often?
4: Yeah, it did. I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm pushing this box set. I've been on TV for a while, and I am going to do Conan. Oh, good. Uh, November t- two, seven, 27, two seventh, Okay. Great. Tuesday. Right. That's and next
3: I'll week. Do, yeah, we'll, we'll put. It I'll think I'll, I'll on. do the
4: same, exactly the same things, because I think no one. Who watches Conan watches Kimball. <laughs> I may be wrong. It could be true. I mean, it could be true, but either you're a Conan fan or a Kimmel fan, but you can't just watch them both, can you? No, no, no it's never. impossible. No, no. We just don't have
3: the technology to even accomplish such a feat.
4: Right. <laughs> what do you think? Wait a minute. I think that's stupid. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, All I you thought gotta do would go on a different channel. No, no, you, you just
3: side. but you only get one channel in yeah. your home now. It's just one channel, right? You get to pick whatever channel that is. You I guys don't have know.
2: to sign the late night contract. I, I can only
3: legally watch <laughs> yeah, one. Right. It's yeah. a very it's a it's a partisan system of television now. You can only go with one or the other. You can't possibly. So, do. how
4: many people? How do people hear Nerdist or see Nerdist or hear Nerdist or what? They download
3: it on the internet or listen yeah. to it on iTunes or whatever.
4: So, like, you have a
3: channel. Well, we we have a YouTube channel, but a the, website. We do have a website, and then and then the the podcast is available on iTunes as well. So most people get it from iTunes. Some people just download. Does the So iTunes,
4: iTunes doesn't pay anything. No, no, no. They're just a platform. They don't pay
3: you. No, they're a platform. They're like a television set. They yeah. basically just deliver. The uh, content to people.
4: Right. If we this was, if we were military people, we'd say delivery system. Delivery system, <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. You know. It's an important delivery
3: system. <laughs> yeah, but, and then I would say get some rest. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to get some. Try rest. to get some. rest. I'm sorry. <laughs> <I already laughs> Fuck that up already. Man, Damn you it. Gotta,
4: you got to get it right.
3: I know. I didn't. I messed it up. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so and, and so that that's how that's how most people get it, and it's great because. They, you know, whereas... Do they
4: write in to you? Do they say, they do. I liked it? Or, I mean, did they, they do, do that kind of...
3: Yeah. They tell us when they didn't mm-hmm. like they it. They were very vocal <laughs> <to> <laughs> <that> <laughs> Mostly when they don't like it. <laughs> no, I, actually, we're pretty lucky. I think it's like... I honestly think we're like 80-20. Like, 80% of the stuff we get is very positive, and 20% are, why are you doing that, and why don't you do something different, yeah. rather than well, just Well, basically,
4: you four people, are you basically the guts of it, the the center? Yeah. The nucleus of, of, of the of the show?
3: Yes, Yes. Yeah. So it, yeah, I mean, we do um I do some of them alone cuz these guys have jobs and they can't always come with me, but for the most are there part. jobs? Yeah. yeah. A comedy writer. Joel was writing on the I mean, uh, Joel, uh jo- Jonah was writing for Joel and McHale on the Soup uh, yeah. for a while. And then Matt was working at a channel called G4 writing. Oh yeah, I know yeah.
4: G4 because we did uh, Spaceballs animation Spaceballs yep. animation. Yeah, I'm on you Attack of the Show right. over there. So
0: and so What we all, are you
4: working at G4? What what are you doing at G4? Attack
0: of the Show. Uh, which is but his s- network's about to go away. G four yeah, is about to G4's rebranding and It's we've totally changing. Attack of the what's Show doing? got canceled. Right now we're canceled. Uh, oh, our last but- show is the twenty first of December, and uh, then uh, they're relaunching it to some sort of. Uh, so
4: what's G four going to be?
0: I hear it's going to be something along the lines of
3: Esquire or GQ.
4: It's Magazine. the male
0: eyebrow grooming network. Yeah, they're calling it bro- like we're calling it Bravo around the. It's
3: Bravo. Yeah, it's going to be Bravo for. You, you must have some advice for for Matt Meyer. He's you know you've worked on stuff that didn't make it. You you how do you how do you deal with it?
4: You know, there's no advice for anybody. Thank you, Mel. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> you, know, you can't give anybody advice. No. I mean, what you do has to basically emanate from somewhere in you. Mm-hmm. And then, the only advice you could give is uh, once it's out, once you've vomited, you know, express it, either you know, in a scenario of some kind, or a script, or an idea that you write down. And Then the best, the next best thing to do once you've written something, is get an agent, because agents know, they know, they're dirty. <laughs> They're dirty. They're really dirty. They know all the dirty tricks. They know They're pimpy. Yeah, you know, yeah. And and they'll they'll say, Oh no, 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 don't send it to send it to his second assistant. They know. They know everything. How to how to how to get to a studio executive's desk the right way and and uh you know. <clears throat> My advice always you know, I've been in the business what 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 seventy seventy four years mm-hmm. you know it's good that's actually i it's actually only fifty four years but it sounds good, it sounds good. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> my advice to you to comedy writers anyway who write who wanna write movies who wanna write t v shows wanna i say get if it's gonna be if you have a movie in mind Get it to the actor. Get it to the star. Don't ever send anything to a studio, because they'll have somebody dopier than you reading it before it gets to a low-level other dope. And you know, and it'll never it'll never get anywhere. So my 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 advice always is, see if you can have a friend of the star
5: mm-hmm.
4: who knows and befriend him. Buy buy him. Chicken lo mein. Buy him things.
5: <laughs> and Leave then a $5 become, become, to him.
4: become his friend. And then he, he has to, you've got to get to the actor. Okay. If the actor likes it, <clears throat> then the actor's agent says, I don't know, this guy's never written anything, I don't know, you know. The actor says, yeah, yeah, but the conversation goes something like, yeah, but I like it. I, you know, I want to do, I, I could do this. I like that character. I like the thing he wrote, you know, and I think. It, then, that's the muscle. For in the movie to get to a studio, if you know, if uh, Anne Hathaway likes it, you got a chance of it, of it getting made. If Steve Carell likes it. You got a chance of it of it getting made.
3: They were both in Get Smart. Yes,
4: I, I only I only subliminally push my own stuff. You know, good for you, Chris Hardwick. Two points, dunk. Yeah. Well done. How do you, as a comedy writer, how
3: do you break past the wall? Like when you're writing and you're, and your and your brain feels like I don't have another joke to squeeze. I don't know where the sketch is going to go. I don't know how this is going to end. Do you pull away or do you push through?
4: I pushed through. I mean, I I always did. You know, it's a habit. I did it on the show of shows. When were, you had
3: to then. You when
4: when away. we were exhausted, it was a live show. It was literally live. Everything today is live, but it's not. Right. I mean, it's kind of taped. Just live before. to
0: tape, they call it. Yeah. Attack of um, the show is still live. But we were. Live, yeah. For two more weeks. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was it's seven, seven to eight. It's still live, yeah. Two more weeks. Just ad lib? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I'm hosting it next week and oh. live, and we'll see. So
4: it's going off the air. Why?
0: Uh, because they're gonna—they're just canceling all the
3: programming they have, and they're gonna rebrand.
0: Can it re-
4: go anywhere else? I don't know. What about a website? Think... It's own.
3: What about the Nerdist YouTube channel? Well, the problem is that it's, it's all about licensing, and it's owned by NBC. Yeah. And it's like, even though... And, and it's one of those companies where you go, hey, can I, can I just keep making that thing? And they'll go, no. And you're like, but you're not even using it. And they're like, yeah. well, but I'm in business affairs, and you can't have that. I know. It's just... It's, everything's it's like, too corporatized.
4: Yeah. You know, uh, Seinfeld, I said, well, the owner of the show, he said, well... Because he came over and he did something with me and There's Carl. The comedians a cars getting coffee. Yeah, yeah, getting coffee. And I said, I love I loved that kind of stuff. I really love that. Mm-hmm. Ease, easy, you know. And you talk about serious stuff about life and death. You talk about a lot of stuff. And some of it's pretty funny. And he said, uh, no, it's on It's on a network, a little network called Crackle. It's owned by Sony. So you're right. In the end... It's always owned by NBC. <laughs> and, you know, no matter what. You can trace it. You know, there's always one big owner, and it's, you know.
3: So you were, you were, you were just about to say a second ago about pushing through the wall, the, the writing barrier.
4: Yeah, but you, but, but you do. You can. You, 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 uh, well, there are things today that I really admire. Self-publishing.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: You, you can publish your own book. Uh, or you can create a network. And, and just do a lot of dopey things, and, and, uh, and it'll be on your own little website, yeah. you know, your own little, you know. It can be done, and you can be discovered, you know. You don't have to take shit from anybody. You can, but you,
3: because you definitely did, I mean, you, you, you did have very much of the philosophy of what kind of drives creativity now, which is you go, well, I'm just going to make my own stuff. I'll, you know, you, yeah. you figure out how to push it through. It's certainly a lot easier now because people can make their own stuff. And you don't have to have a studio give you the platform exactly what you were just saying.
4: Right. The trick is to attract people to see it and to talk about
3: there's it. There's a lot right? of noise now, especially because everyone's making shit all the time. Yeah,
4: right. And they're always, you know... But but a couple of things come through always, you know. You know. There, there There's a lot of funny funny stuff that... Uh, I still go to comedy clubs. What? Where do you I, go? You know, I go to the improv, and I go to the comedy store, and, you know, I'm... I'm I just... I hang out in the back, you know. Where do
3: you fall in the, in terms of, because uh, I'm not I'm not a dirty comedian, but I do say a lot of kind of filthy things. It Like my brain goes right to the vagina a lot, and I, I hate that about myself. <laughs> and so I, I'm trying to be comfortable with it because I feel like, no, if I were really funny or I wouldn't write, I wouldn't always go there. Yeah. But do you just sort of feel like, no, no, you just express what you express, and you should just be happy with that? Yes, you said it.
4: I say second... I vote for two.
3: Okay, okay, good.
4: You know, I vote for what you said secondly. Okay. You know, go go where where, where you go normally, where you go, you know, naturally.
3: Because people must have given you shit in the 70s. Oh, yeah,
4: oh. Wow, I mean.
3: Max said you punched a critic once.
4: I did. There was a... How did he remember that? (laughs) (laughs) There was a... Okay, I'll tell you the guy, exactly. Everything. Everything. So there's a guy from... It was a very in magazine at the time. Q, C U E, okay, a New York magazine uh, that had to do with entertainment. It was it was like entertainment today, Kevin. Q magazine, and it's uh, it had a good uh, critic at the time. William Wolfe was its critic, and so William Wolfe came to Yugoslavia when we were shooting the Twelve Chairs. And I showed him around, you know. And we went. I said, you know, it's Q magazine. Come on, give him, give him, yeah. give him the white meat of the chicken. You know what I mean? <laughs> we having. We'll take the dark. You know, <laughs> and, you know. Like, and and you know, we were very good to him. I mean, he was there with us. He was embedded. You know, he was embedded with with the Twelve Chairs Company, in uh, Dubrovnik, in Belgrade, and Novi Sad. And you know, he he was with us. It was like, even though he was he wasn't in the movie, he was still part of it. We were very good to him, so we get back. The movie's released, uh, and it does. It's it gets mixed reviews, which was pretty good for my second one. The first, the first one, the first one got all bad newspaper reviews. Renata Adler, the critic, she thought it was. Uh, she thought the producers was terrible. What uh, New York Times? Really, she she thought it. And she said, uh, the leading man is fat. I, just,
1: oh. I mean,
4: I just couldn't believe it. You should have put but, that on the poster. Yeah. But anyway, look at the poster. But I, all, the, all the time your time and news, all the magazines were great. So we survived, you know, we the magazines saved us. Then, then I did 12 chairs, F- pretty good reviews, uh, semi, you know, and the worst review. This is true. <laughs> The most devastatingly bad review we get for the Twelve Chairs is from Q magazine, from from William Wolfe.
5: Oh no! He
4: said, "I'm bitterly disappointed." You know, he said, "I was there watching." He said, "I thought of it. Maybe it was the editing. Maybe." He said, "But it's an practically an unwatch, unwatchable, boring picture." I mean, it was just like the worst review you ever read (laughs) Read read in your life. And it was my, you know, and I said, okay, I was, I wasn't sure about staying in movies with the producers after Renata Adler and the Times. I figured, oh, I was making a living in television, I better go back. But you know, somehow we survived. And the producers ran a little bit, and here's the twelve chairs, and this guy kills. I said, well, I'm back to get smart. I bet get smart too. Here I go, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, I'm having dinner with Ann and uh, at the Russian tea room. And I, re- I remember that uh, I was having bleenies with the red caviar and, and sour cream. And in the middle of a blini bite, and in walks William Wolf, And he stops right. He says, it was a high ML. <laughs> uh. High ML. <laughs> high ML. So I grabbed him. I just, I just went i went i went crazy, I went berserk, I grabbed him by the um collar and his his tie and his and 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 I shoved him hard, and unfortunately, the back of his head hid hit the the spout of a samovar oh. which was a, was on a shelf against the wall, you know bang, and he started to bleed. And then I had then we had all wait, all took our handkerchiefs out and we all had us but uh you know and then but he didn't have me arrested or anything oh, I, I was, that I was is, like, but I really different time <laughs> much yeah, different time <laughs> you know I just couldn't I, I you know I had no choice the animal in me rose you know but you
3: don't seem to me to be you seem like a Pretty easy guy to work with, and I, and I, I remember working. Wa- I'm fine. I'm fine. I remember watching um, when Gene Wilder was on Inside the Actors Studio years ago. He said Mel and I only ever had one argument, it was this knockdown, dragout fight about a joke. And then you stormed out, and he said you came back in after you screamed at him and said, "Who was that crazy person who was just yeah, yeah, a second yeah. ago?"
4: Yeah, <laughs> as a matter of fact, it was all about putting on the ritz. And I said, "Look, I'm the first one to be anarchic and crazy and ter- but tear, but this will tear." This is going to tear it, this is going to tear young Frankenstein. We're going to make, you know, uh, the kind of James Wales, master. we're going to make it silly. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make it silly. I want to give it, you know, I'm not in it. Therefore, I'm. you know, I'm not I'm not even doing a part of it because of you. It, Gene said he would only do it if I wasn't in it. What? <laughs> yeah. He said, if you're not in it, I'll do it. Why would he say that? Because, you, you know, I would be in a... I could be in like a I don't know a, a knight's helmet and the camera would go, a Hiya, folks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, know, he knows he knows you can't trust me. So I said I won't be in it. But he, now he was tearing it <clears throat> with uh, putting on the ritz. So you didn't want putting on the ritz in there? I, after we had done it, I said we've gone too far. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, well, let's film it. Let's, you know, and then we'll see how it fits. We had we had this big like knockdown drag drag-out, you know uh, and uh, I did it we did it oh, oh I came back to him I said okay we're gonna we're gonna film it he said why I said well you were so passionate about it. there must be there may be some wor- it might have some worth I don't know I mean you you believe in it so much so we did it I said for sure we're probably gonna take it out and and we did it and I. With tears in my eyes, I hugged him later after I cut it and said, it's the best thing in the movie. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. sweet. And it was, it was. It was the best thing in young Frankenstein. Did you,
2: did you find that hard, like uh, being like making a parody of a movie, um, like where to stay kind of true to the type of movie you were parodying, and then trying to get not get lost inside of that, where it's like if someone says a joke, you go, Nah, but if it was that movie, that no one would say that. Right. Kind of you get lost in the parody.
4: Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, you just the same thing happened with uh, high anxiety. You've got to faithfully, you know. You got to respect. You got to love the movie you're having fun with. Mm -hmm. I loved westerns. I mean, they saved my life when I was a little kid. I was able to forget poverty or tenements or whatever. You know, and I would I'd be lost in in sagebrush and you know and and a white horse with you know with 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 a white hat and. The lovely stuff like that, and uh, so as much fun as I made of the western, I still it was a, to me a salute to the great that great genre of film. You know, uh, the only one I didn't have enough respect for was spaceballs. Was the sci-fi because it was too new? Because mm-hmm. uh, it, it it wasn't legendary like like the James Whale horror films, or you know, uh, or the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers beautiful, you know. Uh, Gorgeous musicals, you know. Right. So, so I wasn't I wasn't as faithful to the walls and the floors and whatever of of of, this, of spaceballs as I was to the other movies. Even Robin Hood, I saluted in a, in a strange way. I was very careful about it. their uh, costumes. I broke it a little bit. I there were a lot, there were a lot of different actors that applied for the part of At Jew. ACA who was Robin Hood's kind of right hand guy you know his sidekick and I saw this young guy very young who had a sweetness and comedy timing that was terrific and I spotted it and there was Dave Dave Chappelle Chappelle, so I got him and you know and and, uh, he was wonderful in the movie he has a scene he does so beautifully when, it's a classic scene where Robin Hood and Little John meet on a small bridge uh. and, you know, and you know and Dave Chappelle says hey hey, Robin no big deal here look look I'm on the left bank boom I'm on the right bank I'm on the left see he keeps jumping over this tiny stream he said you know we, we could simply just walk around it no problem we don't have to fight for the rights of the bridge you know and he said uh, it's 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 the honor, you know. It's the principle. Something. It's the principle of yeah. the thing or something. Look out! Look. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful, Jonah and Matt. I mean, it was mm. Jonah, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, but I mean, he was good at everything he did. Dave Chappelle. You
3: know? Yeah, he's great.
4: And and, and I'm so, I don't know what happened to him. You know, I mean, I, I wrote him a couple. Of, you know, he's like in business, He's out of showbiz. It depends on. On how he's...
2: I'm sure he's somewhere doing a five-hour set. <laughs> yeah. I saw him in New York a couple,
3: like, maybe three, three weeks ago, uh, and I didn't say hi to him because I just didn't... I, I, you know, I I don't know, do you have that thing where you go, oh, I sort of know that person, but... Then you play it out in your head, and you go, "Well, I'm going to walk up, and I'm going to say hi, and then they're going to say hi, and then there's going to be an awkward moment. We don't really have anything to talk about, and then I'm going to leave. So yeah. I'll just skip the whole thing." Yeah, no, that
4: was smart. That was <laughs> I, I thought that was wise of you. you know? <laughs> that would exactly that's the scenario that would have happened. Yeah. So it's, it may happen here now.
3: No, <laughs> I'm not sure.
4: I know who the hell you are, Chris Hardwick.
3: Uh, well, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna start getting a. If table. you
4: weren't a friend of my son Max's, you'd, you'd have no chance of being here. at the- <laughs> <laughs>
5: So play. glad this worked out yeah.
3: then. I'm so glad this worked I,
4: out. I'm glad, and also, I like your title very much. Oh, thanks. Artist. I really think it's great. I appreciate that. Yeah, when I mean, you know, ashamed of au contraire. Exactly. I love the au contraire. No, we're going with it. You know, the funny we're thing. We're all nerds. It's sort of like the, the nerd thing was, it's sort of a
3: buzzword <clears throat> now, but, it, but really when I was growing up, it was not a cool thing to do. Like there was definitely an element of like, Taking it, trying to take it back because I was so ashamed of everything that I was into when I was a kid, and I just, really, yeah, and I said, <laughs> oh well, I just want people to have to live that way. So, you know, I think there's a little bit of like, no, be proud of what you like. It's okay, like yeah. don't don't be ashamed.
4: That's good. That's all. That's that's all good stuff.
3: Kind of a hug message. Yeah. What, what is the. Just before we let you go, because you've been super great to sit with us here. I
4: didn't give you anything to eat or anything. No, I got water.
3: You got water? You okay. right. did get water. We are wealthy with. I have all the. I, all the, I could stay hydrated for six hours. Just We're on also the water, squatting the water. in your office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's yeah, a piano some, here. <laughs> Katie's going to get on the piano. We're going to do Fabulous Baker Brothers numbers <laughs> in a really minute. I would have liked
2: some food to wash this water down. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: like you, uh, you, you're, you're a legend to all of us in Jonah particular, but did Jonah be the one guy who was like, yeah, but he didn't give us food. Yeah. I yeah. mean,
2: you know. It won't, be, it won't be the same when I'm watching. Yeah. the movie, It was though. really great of you. Yeah.
3: But uh, what do you think is the, and this this may be too pretentious a question <laughs> to ask, and so don't answer it if you don't want to, but what do you sort of, what, what do you think is this kind of the essential element of comedy because i when when you, if you read the book on the on the dvd collection it says you know the jews had so many horrible things happen to them basically that ev- one out of every 10 jews has to stand up and make everyone yeah, laugh yeah. is the essential quality of comedy suffering or is it dealing with horrible things or when you think about comedy what do you
4: think? that's that's a good that's a really good question there's no good answer i would say one word if it, you know if i were to define it i would just say protest oh that's interesting comedy is protest it's you know, not not things as they are, but rather, more as they should be. So yeah. I, I, I and it's just it's it's the essence of protest, you know. So comedy is you know, I beg to differ, or you know if you if you if you fancier if you're just Jewish you say, no listen to this. You
5: know? <laughs> yeah. 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 When
0: I was age, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to convert to Judaism because I wanted to be a stand-up. When yeah. I was a really little kid, I would see, like, the special, the show of shows special that they did on PBS, where all of you guys were talking in front of the yeah. red curtain. And I was like, oh, I think I have to be Jewish. So and yeah. I tried to let my mother let me convert. Uh, and she went along with it for a little while. <laughs> and then I uh, slowly it was yeah, like, you're yeah. like, that's you're, a lot of work. You know what? You're staying in Catholic school. Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah.
2: <laughs> I did it the easier way. I just told people I was Canadian. <laughs>
4: yeah. Canadian is good too. Yes, yeah. Canadians. Are then good. you're out of everything. There's no, you know, <laughs> everything, everything goes bad. Oh, I can't yeah. be mad at him. Yeah. He's Canadian. Yeah, right. You sort of.
3: Uh, I always, I always, I kind of like to think of Dick Cavett as the forefather of podcasting, in the sense that, you know, talk shows now on television are so much. Hey, you worked on the thing that was great. We're like, okay, we got to go to the. We got four minutes with you, but Cabot, you watch those specials and you did the show. Like, he just lets it breathe, and there's a oh, conversation, the and you
4: guys
5: best.
3: talk. You're like, what do you think it is? What is it about Dick that you think makes yeah. him so great? I have
4: a new one with coming out on December 10th at HBO with Alan Yentop. who's a creative. He's been a, a friend for. A long, he's the creative director of the BBC, mm-hmm. and he has nothing to do with news. He has nothing to do with sports, but he has everything to do with entertainment. Mm-hmm. And he's been a friend of mine ever since he was the the kind of a uh, I don't know assistant on a show called Arena, BBC about 30 years ago. And he came here, and and did a what was it? it was called? I thought I was taller about me. Okay. And it's in the it's in the box set. It's very funny. Oh, that's cool. It's from it's on the BBC, and 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 it's a. It's a kind of doc, it's a a faux documentary on on, uh, Mel Brooks, the producer. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, uh, there's some very funny stuff in it because I have a very big office and I'm just, you know, waxing eloquently about (laughs) my work and and Brooks films. And uh, Sherry uh, comes in, uh, she was running uh, Fox at the time. And she comes in and says, "I need my office back." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Okay, oh, yeah, okay." And then cut to, and I'll, we'll go to my office. And we're in a we're in the hall in a broom closet with a sink. <laughs> we, just, we just have, And I keep talking as if, you know, as, as if I was still running Fox. You know, it, it's stuff like that. It's 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 really wild, you know. And like I come, I'm coming to my real office, and there's all Alan's stuff. In the hall. And I say, "What is this shit? Get it, clear it out. <laughs> I'm gonna have a, you know, I'm gonna be gonna be interviewed. I can't, you know." He says, "Well, this is the stuff. Oh, 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 I beg you, oh, please, please, <laughs> please litter, litter my floor, you know." So we did a lot of stuff that was very funny, and it'll be out uh, Dece- December. No, not that. That's in the box set. But Alan, like Dick Cavett, very easily, casually asked me questions about my life. It's more Proustian. About memory and smells and stuff, and Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and it's—I like it. It's—it's—it's—it's not so um, belly, belly laugh. Hit you know, hit hard. You're from Williamsburg
3: before all the hipsters moved in.
4: Eighteen dollars a month rent. Now it's what, thirty eight hundred a month. <laughs> same <laughs> apartment. I mean, really it's
3: I think, be, I think it'd be fun to go through and find your old apartment and just knock on the door and go,
4: Hi, I'm Mel Brooks. Yeah. I used to live here.
3: Can I just look around? Yeah. We were
4: talking about you you changing you yeah, a, to Jew. Be a Jew, yeah. Uh Shelby. Yeah. Uh Do you have a kit? Shelby. <laughs> I've, Shelby <laughs> I've needed one yeah, all this time. <laughs> yeah. Can I <laughs> is there a way of playing the uh the um the thing with Carl Reiner's uh, a Lifetime Achievement the George Slaughter Comedy Awards Oh yeah, <laughs> how can we play that
3: you, we could just play it and then if, if I have the file I can just input it on to the end of but this I want you to talking. see it with me now yeah okay I'll watch it we'll watch because it because it,
4: it has a lot to do with uh, Jews being a Jew in comedy and you know Carl Reiner was being given uh, there was a thing called the comedy awards George Slaughter had he did laughing. He was yeah, yeah, a great it. producer. And he did these, you know, just I guess to make money, you know. It was a good show. The the uh, the American comedy American, awards yeah or, yeah know, whatever. The,
2: the, um, on the c martin box set, he has his clips from yeah. there when he was and and
4: and nobody respected it so it was very yeah, funny yeah you know, you know?
2: well it's kind of like the uh the comedy central comedy awards now where it's just like you know it's people on comedy central shows getting awards from comedy central like, <laughs> yeah, what an honor yeah, yeah. That's,
4: that's brilliant so what Yeah, 1991 American Comedy Awards. I want you to see this
0: one. Okay. No salute to Carl Reiner or his career would be complete without a few words from his illegitimate
3: son, Mel Brooks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right. I'm all right. Well... Let's tell the truth, huh? <laughs> the truth is, ladies and Jews, you know the truth. The truth is, I don't know if he deserves this, to you? <laughs> A lot of people don't agree with this. I'd like to cut right now. Cut outside and see the demonstration against Carl Colbert. Go. Cut out. Have you got the tape? Cut outside now. Let's see the truth. Damn it. Let's see it.
5: And wait a minute,
1: wait a minute, and now, while we're telling the truth, (laughs) let's tell it all. For 25 years, he made me out to be the 2000, to be the, to be this Jewish person. And there was money in it, and I went along with it. (laughs) Hold it, hold it. And now, tonight, here, in this stupid place, I'm going to rev... I'm gonna reveal. I am really a Gentile born in Waco, Texas. This is not my nose. Look, look carefully. Watch. Watch me. This is not, this is not this. Is 25 years I'm in this nose. I've put up with this. And out and out and out, there damn it, I can talk the way I always talked when I lived in Waco. I don't have to do that Jew talk no more. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) I can die. It was worth it. Oh God. That was
2: awesome. That's a great bit. Yeah.
3: Does it make you uh do you sort of have that thing that Jack Benny and George Burns had, where it's like you yeah, you yeah. love making him laugh?
4: Right, I love making him laugh, and I do. I can get him so easily. Can he get you? No, <laughs> I, I never, I never let him get me. <laughs> but every once in a while, I cave in. I can't help it. But I thought that that, that was amazing. Great, you know, yeah. The, the prosthetic nose. Yeah, right. I just just.
0: You see Dick Van Patten in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I saw Frank Langella yeah, there. A yeah, bearded yeah, Steve yeah. Martin.
4: Yeah. All right, so now what do you want to know?
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. We're actually going to start the podcast What's the fastest now? way to be yeah. Jewish? Um, <laughs> is there a genre that you haven't kind of gone after that you, you still wish, like, oh, I really want to, there's one that I never got to, that I really want to get to? Well, I
4: was wondering, during my, my life in, in, you know, in, in showbiz and entertainment, was there a, there was, was there a genre that began and, and, and flowered and blossomed? During, during my, you know, my life, you know, and I don't know, I think it may have, may have been podcasts,
5: you know,
4: <laughs> maybe that's the next Or porn, thing.
3: podcasts are porn.
4: Right, maybe that's the next thing I, I should have fun with. Well, I hope you do. I mean,
3: listen, if, you know, if you ever want to play around with like short form stuff, mm-hmm. you know, we have a YouTube channel and we would, I would produce anything you wanted if you wanted to do fun stuff. Okay. Just let, to screw around.
4: Let me, is there any money in it? There, well listen yeah. Mel there's a lot of there's a lot there's of little hugs. Or no money in this stuff. there's a lot it's, of hugs is, yeah.
2: satisfaction <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll give you anyway, 1.75 well
4: this was fun this, this was, was amazing easy. This was, no th-
3: listen we're you know you can
4: watch you can watch the uh, on, on the 10th of December it's not part of the it'll be part of maybe two maybe yeah. I really will make it two. yeah <laughs> and, and the, you know it'll be part of two it'll be the, the Alan Yentab uh, interview. Cool. With, uh, and we, we cover a lot of stuff Is
3: there anything Just sort of as we kind of wrap it up Is there anything when you Because a lot of times I feel like when you're making stuff You don't really necessarily think about what you're trying to say And sometimes you look back and you go Oh I guess that's what my brain was trying to say And I didn't realize it at the time So when you look back at all the stuff you made Is there anything that you feel like you've learned about yourself Because of what you've expressed over, over the years
4: you know, that's a, you know That's a very good question I, I have no answer for it. I have no, you know, I need to think. Okay. I would, i have to think. I, I, you know, I couldn't be that glib. I couldn't say, oh yeah, when in 1958, when I, you know, no, there probably have been times, maybe in the middle of making a film, when I said, wait a minute, I've, uh, there's another direction I could have, or should have taken, you know, but, but that's a very, you know, uh, I, I give you a gold star for a good oh, thank question. Well,
3: thank you very much. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's great to see you, and, uh, and again, I, I, you know, I mean we we try not to geek out on you too hard, but you know, be, you're you're one of the reasons why we all do what we do, you know, like a whole
4: I'm so lucky you know, I'm so lucky that uh my um uh, my anarchy has been accepted because I I, I had no choice. I am I am a a comic uh, comedy anarchist and you know, my my stuff is basically my my Modus operandi, my my path is to destroy things. You know, <laughs> yeah. is to hurt. You know, as as well, actually, all comedy. You know, we we're all all comics and comedy. We we whisper into the king's ear. We tell the king who's no fucking good. Yeah. You know what and what the truth is. You yeah. know, and and it's good and it's really. Important, you know, to tell America and the world uh, how you feel about, you know, existing uh, things and issues that, uh, you know, that uh, on the surface is accepted by society, and we know it's bullshit. And we got it. We and we, you know, who said it the best? I think Richard Pryor. He always pointed pointed to what was phony baloney, you know. And I think he was the it could have been the best stand-up comic of them all, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Particularly that, you know, between, between Carlin and Pryor.
4: Oh, yeah. Right. He's, a, he's on his, hot on his heels, Carlin. Is
3: that it's... Fabulous. The truth.
4: Yeah. Carlin's essay on stuff... Is worth yeah. it, worth your life,
3: you know. You ever notice how so other people's yeah. stuff is shit, other people's shit is stuff. Your what is it? Your stuff is shit, and their shit is stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I probably fucked that up. You, you got it
4: backwards, but it, but but it's right. And I mean, there were a lot of guys guys like that. Even Cosby, in a quiet way, was beautiful. His family stories are, are, are fabulous, you know. But like I said to Sid, you know, and I see Sid every other Friday or so, sits, he, he lives up in, in the hills of Beverly Hills. And he has some kind of, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of synaptic problems where it's not exactly muscular dystrophy or anything you could name, but it's difficult for him to put a fork into a piece of food and bring mm-hmm. it to his mouth. Uh, he can talk. And he can laugh. It's all slow and it's all garbled, but he gets it. And sometimes Rudy Deluca, who uh, Rudy Deluca was was in uh, the one of the last pictures they did, Life Stinks. He's he's a wonderful actor and a wonderful writer. And he's been since silent movie. He and Barry Levinson have been write, writers with you know with with Ron Clark, but. And Rudy and I go up there, and he, he cries with joy when we we re, we tell him what we remembered, how how much we loved it, and how and and he did a thing called "I've got five dollars and it's burning a hole in my pocket." And if you can get him on the right track, he will sing it again in in a very garbled and oh. strange way. But he'll sing "I've got fire burning a hole in my pocket," and he'll be on key and and he'll be so and just. Performing again, even he can't get out of bed in his bed, and and so we uh, and we know, we know, you know, Rudy and I know. We cry, we hold each other and cry later, but uh. but we know that he's been, you know, we know that Sid Caesar was about the best comedian that ever lived. Yeah. Well, we think he was anyway, you know, in in our lives. But and so uh, I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed, and I I just got lucky that you know that. Uh, disease and bad governments didn't take me away. <laughs> you know? Sometimes they conspire. Yeah, 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 that I was allowed, allowed <laughs> to pursue my trade, you know. And, you know, and stuff like this is fun. I, I, I love doing this. And uh, none of your listeners has enough money to buy my box set. I know that going in,
5: <laughs> but if going
4: they did,
3: in, yeah, they should pick up the incredible Mel Brooks and irresistible collection of unhinged comedy, which I assume you can get at uh, digital and uh, in real life retailers as well.
4: Yeah, well, I, most of these things are so where are they sold?
3: This would probably be it, you know, like at your WalMarts and your Targets, and yeah. and um, Amazon. Amazon, like that, yeah. you can go to your Amazon, get yourself an Amazon locker, and you
4: yeah. can have <laughs> stuff. Oh, well, <laughs> what was that thing? Uh, Oh God! I wish I had a Shelby. Yeah. What was that Amazon thing? That was that was that, our price. Our price. Amazon said our price. Uh,
0: I think they're at like eighty six right now.
4: It's yeah, no, but 89. they said no. This is it. I gotta uh, yeah. get home. They Retail said price. eighty nine. Yeah, they said okay, eighty nine ninety seven, and then they said eighty nine something. Our our price. You save it says seven cents. <laughs> and they printed it. First of all, from what? The paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The paper, you know, the paper alone. Just you save seven cents. But here's the way it works. You make these things and there's a there's a big price, eighty nine dollars. In in uh two months, no matter where what, it's sixty nine dollars. You can yeah. get it for sixty nine dollars. <laughs> in six months, it's gotta be closer to 49 dollars right. right in two years it's a dollar 28 you know <laughs> you can get it somewhere you know chinatown or yeah. somewhere yeah. you
3: know where you are yeah. you'll, you'll you be selling taking it. the movies oh, yeah, You're selling your all your academy screeners yeah. Yeah.
4: I, sell, I sell them
3: <laughs> well we're gonna we, we usually end the podcast by telling people to enjoy their burrito which means to you know like enjoy your present enjoy your life would you would you give us that honor of telling people to enjoy their burrito Sure. what for, do you want me to say just say enjoy your burrito
4: Hiya, folks. This is Mel Brooks telling you to enjoy your burrito, whatever that means.
2: <laughs> well, that's my fucking ringtone forever. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> enjoy your burrito is essentially is, is.
4: Uh-oh. It is, is. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Is, is. Enjoy is. Enjoy your burrito, which is, is. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Oh, thanks, I like Mel. It all. Yeah. Good to okay, see you, man. Thanks for coming up here. Thank,
1: Thank you, so you for having us. That all down. Pleasure. <laughs>
2: you are playing with me, right?
3: You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace
5: exclusively on Wondery+. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.